Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. There are so many ways to invest in real estate, and today we're going to talk about a really cool one that we don't cover that often. What if your tenants were businesses? We're going to talk about retail real estate today, and we've got an amazing guest on the Real Estate Guys radio program. All aboard! Registration is now open for the Real Estate Guys 17th Annual Investors Summit. Imagine spending nine days with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Returning in 2019 are sales legend Tom Hopkins, international developer Beth Clifford, authors of Prosper Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, and the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin. Also back is the editor of the Gold Newsletter, Brian London, and Jim Rohn's 18-year business partner, Kyle Wilson. And joining us live and in person for his seventh Investor Summit in a row, Peter Schiff. Plus, lots more to be announced. It all begins March 15th, 2019 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. This transformational week is like no conference you've ever attended. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 17th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me, as usual, financial strategist, co-host Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. We love real estate because there's so many different ways and different markets and different types of real estate you can invest in, and it is all good. Most people gravitate towards a specialty, something they get to know and love and get good at. Maybe it's single-family homes, maybe it's apartments, maybe it's commercial property. And today, we're going to meet a gentleman who specializes in a really cool niche, and this is an area of real estate we've talked about but not very often. We don't have a lot of experience in it ourselves, but it's fascinating to think about, and that is retail real estate. Yeah, retail is pretty interesting. You know, um, it's probably been one of the most affected by the changes in technology. You know, everybody talks about the Amazon effect, and it's really the idea that retail shopping was always about product availability, convenience, uh, and the department stores were the big retailers where you could go in and you could have a, a huge variety of products. And so if you think about the evolution of retail with the little gift shops and mom and pop shops, and then the big retailers, the big box retailers showed up and the department stores showed up and they've got huge selection. And then Sears came along and revolutionized everything with the concept of catalog sales. You know, I was in the office products industry, commercial side of it, and that's what we did. We would go out to commercial accounts and we would drop off our catalogs full of, you know, 10,000 different office products. And now, now, for you young listeners, a catalog is like taking a website and printing it out on paper <laughs> and binding it all together. Yeah, so we'd carry these big giant magazines, if you will, of product and we'd go out there and, and that made so much more product available. We might have only stocked two or 3,000 items, which is a lot of items. That's what you find in a typical Staples or whatever, but there would be 10,000 or 12,000 thousand total items available in the catalog and you could order them and they would come through the distribution machine dropped off at the show or whatever so now people can do the whole thing online amazon is kind of on the front end of that but they're clearly not the only place you can order merchandise online and so it's really changed what the shopping experience is and people in the small space were already being 
challenged by the big box and, and some of that. And then you had this internet effect going on, creating a shift. Uh, and so these are things that people who are in the retail investing space have had to deal with, you know, in terms of their tenant mix and their location and what they're trying to do in order to keep their properties occupied and cash flowing. And the way they've done that is through creative thinking about what a retail experience is. Remember, we had the malls and that was a new idea back in the 60s and 70s. Wow, we'll put several stores together. Then we have what we might call a strip mall. Many retail buildings are single purpose buildings with one tenant and that evolved to, hey, we'll have a convenience for shoppers. They can park their car once and go to different places. And of course, that's turned into these big power centers and entertainment centers where they add things like restaurants and movies and miniature golf and things that people want to do to attract. And of course, the other part of the changing landscape is there's certain things that you simply cannot or it's extremely difficult to order online. You, It's hard to do your dry cleaning online. Many people, when they buy clothes, they want to try them on, see how they fit, see how they look. Sure, there's some technology that can help you do that online, but it's not the same. And one of America's favorite pastimes, and this is actually true all over the world, is the very act of shopping that isn't sitting in a chair and clicking, that's getting out into the world. And in fact, our guest today is going to break some of these paradigms that we think we know about what's changed in retail. Because a lot has changed, but there's still an underlying real estate function, and that's the purpose of today's show. Think about Amazon. What has Amazon done to the real estate market? Well, all kinds of great things. They have huge warehouses on land owned by folks like you and us, right? And there's just a continued distribution, all that. I mean, there's just so much real estate impact. So we thought today we'd uh, talk about that. And the gentleman that you're going to meet today uh, has been in this business for decades. So he really understands, uh, especially one niche within retail. Yeah, I mean, and that's the key because sometimes, you know, when you look at the world, and especially if you're a younger investor, out there. Uh, Robert and I have gotten to this place in life where I guess you'd consider us a little bit seasoned. I don't know that we're completely seasoned citizens, but we're certainly not newbies by any stretch. Seasoned, but not senior. Yeah, that's right. So we've seen a lot. And, you know, like, I mean, just by example, I mean, you know, I talk about what's gone on in the world economically, which is one of my passions, but I've lived through a lot of it. You know, I've seen the last four decades of what's gone on. It was, and I didn't read about it in a history book. Well, you know, if you're 25 or 30 years old, you don't have that perspective. And so it's really important that you listen to people that do, that have seen the things themselves. And of course, you should be reading history and books and things like that, because sometimes these trends, these cycles, these waves of opportunity, if you will, uh, take decades or at least a, an entire decade to manifest. And if you're only looking at like what happened last year or maybe what's happening in the last few months, you may not have a big enough perspective. So a guy with 30 years perspective in retail, I'm sure, is going to bring a lot of street smarts to the conversation. Well, this is a critical point in terms of real estate investors anyway, because we don't pivot the same as other investors, right? If you had to, you could liquidate a bunch of stock or gold or, or oil holdings. Harder to do in real estate. We talk about getting married to a market. So if you're going to pick a niche to be in like retail, you need to think down the road and also understand the past. And so these permutations are critical to think through. But there are some big benefits just so we don't lose anybody on this. You might think, well, I'm the last guy who's going to go out and buy a whole shopping center. Well, first of all, you don't have to buy the whole shopping center. There was ways to participate uh, with the folks who are doing that. But the bigger picture is, is this. 
If you're a residential real estate investor, you deal with the two most expensive parts of your business all the time, turnover and vacancy, because the average person doesn't stay that long in a rental. In some markets, it's eight months, in some it's eight years, but it's typically a year or two. And every time the tenant turns, there's a huge cost in, in making it ready, and then the time that there's nobody paying the rent. The great thing about retail is it can be very long-term leases, and some of these tenants are what we call credit tenants, and meaning that they have no financial issues. You're not going to worry about the durability of your income. Now, they're not all like that because some retail tenants are the neighborhood coffee shop started by a couple that decided they wanted to throw out their corporate jobs and, and start up a little coffee shop, and sometimes that works. And sometimes it doesn't. But the point is, retail tends to have less day-to-day -day involvement from investors. It's one of the reasons why we're attracted to it. Now, I will tell you that we do have some retail holdings. We own some property where our tenants are retail businesses. And you know what? For the most part, that can be a great business. There's ways that leases are structured and so forth. So maybe we talk about some of that after you've heard from our guests. Michael Flight is a shopping center investor. He's been doing that a long, long time. And we first met Michael at one of our events. He'd been investing himself and doing some things with partners, but he came to a syndication event, really looking to up his game in terms of raising capital. And we've gotten to know him and really learn what he's done. So when we come back, you're going to meet Michael Flight and we'll talk about shopping center investing on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. The Real Estate Guys are throwing a party and you're invited. Join Russ and I at the New Orleans Investment Conference, November 1st through 4th. Now in its 44th year, it's the nation's longest-running investment conference and features some of the biggest names in economics and investing, including Robert Kiyosaki, James Grant, Doug Casey, Dennis Garman, Peter Schiff, and lots more. The Real Estate Guys are speaking in three different sessions, attending lots of others, and we're hosting a hospitality suite one of the evenings for our friends and listeners, including some VIPs for you to mingle with. So make plans today to join the Real Estate Guys at the New Orleans Investment Conference. With everything going on in the world, no serious investor can afford to miss it. Send an email to neworleans at realestateguysradio.com and we'll get you all the details. That's neworleans at realestateguysradio.com and we'll see you in New Orleans. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe, CEO of Paradigm Life. Wall Street and banks spend billions of dollars per year in advertising with the goal to convince you that they are the solution. But take a look around. None of their advice has worked. If you're listening to this, odds are pretty good that you're already a real estate investor or at least becoming one. So why do you do it? Is it to hedge inflation, the tax benefits, or maybe it's to get your money away from Wall Street? It's because of these benefits and so many more that I created the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. When you combine successful real estate investing with the Perpetual Wealth Strategy, you have the recipe for what has helped the wealthy to establish their financial well-being for decades. You can download the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy today by clicking the Resources tab on the Real Estate Guys Radio homepage. Don't wait. Go download it now. 
Hi, this is Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. We're glad you're here. We're talking about an area of real estate investment we don't talk about too often, and that's retail. And uh, boy, that is uh, a can of worms, because that could mean anything, as we were talking about earlier, from a single little store to a strip mall to a commercial shopping center. And that is the expertise that our guest has. Uh, he's been to several of our events. Let's say hello to Michael Flight. How are you? Hi, Robert. How are you doing today? Awesome. Great to have you on the show. Now, for many, many years, you've been involved in shopping centers. Tell us about that. Personally, I've been involved with shopping centers from about 1986 and then uh, started my own company back in 1990 with a partner. And so we've been in business, Concordia Realty Corporation, since 1990. And we primarily specialize in redeveloping shopping centers and uh, renovating shopping centers or adding value to shopping centers. Well, it does seem as retail changes, and we talked a little about that at the beginning of the show, the whole way that people are approaching retail is changing. And so you guys find opportunity to exploit that and, and make changes. What are some of the things that, you, that you're able to do? Well, we've done a number of things. So we've actually it, it, retail has always changed. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, you know, with the Sears catalog, the Sears catalog replaced a lot of local merchants. And then, you know, Sears started opening up stores, and now you see that Sears probably is not going to be around too much longer. Right. But we've had to reposition shopping centers because as, you know, trends change and people don't go to the five and dime anymore, you have to replace them with new tenants. And so that's what we've been able to do. And as a matter of fact, we were one of the original ones that were doing actual demalling. So we had like a 400,000 square foot shopping center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it was a great location, but, and it had a bunch of parking in the back. And so we just started adding stuff in the back empty the mall out and then knock that down. We did some of the same thing with another mall that we had. It was a 900,000 square foot mall in Poughkeepsie, New York. Wow. So we've worked with a bunch of things. We've also done you know, individual single tenant, uh, triple net lease retail stores too. And one of our favorite value add strategies is buying a strip center with the uh, restaurants or Walgreens or something out there and then subdividing it and selling off those parcels because you arbitrage you might be buying the shopping center at a 8% to a 10% capitalization rate and you can sell the individual single tenant triple net lease for somewhere around you know a, we've gotten 5% but you know more realistic is like six to seven percent. So you get you arbitrage that spread. Awesome. They like buying the pizza and selling the slices. Exactly. So, so let's start at the beginning. Someone who's maybe invested in some houses and things is thinking, wow, retail sounds interesting. At the beginning of the retail chain, if you will, you have the kind of the single tenant building, maybe a small strip center. Let's talk about what it takes to to purchase one of those. The loans are a little bit different, the way the tenants are. Give us kind of the 101 on, uh, on getting involved in retail. Well, retail, you have to know a little bit about the neighborhood, and you also have to know whether it's a good location or not. And by meaning of a good location is, is there, number one, is there a population around to support what's there? And number two, is it a good travel path? Is there a lot of cars driving by it? And the most important thing is, there might be a lot of cars driving by it, but if they can't get off the freeway, or if they can't turn into the shopping center, then it's probably not gonna be a good location. And then the other thing I always tell people that are just getting involved with real estate, it really doesn't matter how cheap the rent is. So you could say, I'm gonna buy this really cheap thing, it's a great deal. 
because uh, if the retailer can't do business, they are not going to be able to pay rent. And uh, in a lot of situations, you'll see what's called a dark store because the retailer makes less, it's better for the retailer just to close the store and pay rent versus keeping the store open because they lose a lot of money keeping a, a you know bad store open. Well, it's interesting. You know, I always talk about location, 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 but it's there's more nuances to that. When you talk about a retail location, you have to think about those things you talked about, right? Which side of the street? Can they access it? Parking, all of that. And then what about the duration of leases? You know, if I've got a single family house, I'm probably going to have a, maybe a year lease or maybe it's month to month. But a retail tenant's probably going to want a little more surety than that. So talk about how the how you negotiate a lease, what the duration is, and what some of the, the things that are, are part of the lease that matter. Well, one of the great things about a retail lease is that um, you do get, you know, let's say from the, the low end of a local tenant, maybe a three, but at least a five year. And on the national tenant leases, you get five, 10, 15. As a matter of fact, a few years back, we just did a Walgreens lease and the Walgreens lease extends for 40 years. And they had been at the same location. We just took them from an inline space and moved them out to an out parcel. And they had been at the same location since 1957. And then the other great thing about retail tenants is a lot of tenants are nationally known brands. And so there's a lot of equity there. And if you get a good tenant, that tenant is the person that's like doing all the advertising to bring them to your shopping center. So that's why a lot of times we look for what's called an anchor tenant. Sure. And the anchor tenant is the one that's driving all the traffic. And so a good anchor tenant would be, let's say, a, a grocery store or a smaller center. You want a drugstore or maybe a convenience store, and that type of thing that drives your daily traffic. And then the other tenants, it's called merchandising, will feed off of that. Tenant. And then the next great thing about retail real estate is the tenants pay the expenses. Ah, this is one of my favorite parts of it, right? Rather than you have to be responsible for most of the, or many of the expenses and utilities and so forth. In most retail situations, it is the tenant's job to take care of that stuff. Right, right. So in a, even in a triple net lease, but let's just start the, the thing with triple net is net, net, net. And that is the real estate taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. And in some situations, we do a ground lease, and so the tenant actually builds their own store. You have absolutely no risk in it, and they're putting all their money into it, and then they have to maintain the entire building and everything else, and they pay the rent, and then they, uh, for example, I live in Chicago, so a major line item in our budgets are snow plowing. Right. So that's why I'm trying to move out of Chicago. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it, the tenant will even pay for plowing the parking lot. So that's what we call common area maintenance. So it's sweeping, it's lighting the parking lot, and then the insurance would be not only liability insurance if somebody happened to slip and fall in the parking lot but also they're responsible for the property insurance and in a shopping center situation, they're also responsible for ensuring the contents of their own store. Well, and this is one of the interesting things, and it makes sense if you think about it, that a business, that's your tenant, they're operating a business, they're gonna not call you if there's a problem with the front door, they're gonna repair it, right? They're not, they don't have that same mentality that a tenant does all the landlord's problem, right? So, but what this translates to is, 
more certainty when it comes to your costs as the owner of the building. Right. Well, and for example, we've been managing shopping centers, you know, since 1990. So we've dealt with a lot of situations. But a lot of times the tenant will call up and say, hey, you know, I need you to do this. And then it's my job or the property manager's job to say, hey, I'm sorry, but did you read your lease? And your lease says that you are responsible for this. Or in a lot of situations, we make the tenants even maintain you know, a maintenance contract on their HVAC so, because we want the HVAC to be working for them so that they can be open all throughout the year, whether yeah. it's hot or cold or whatever. Now, as you get into bigger properties, you know, you mentioned some of these shopping centers with the big anchor tenants, grocery stores and so forth, and the national tenant. Now you're negotiating with someone who really knows the business. So how does that part of it work when you're negotiating with someone who's got, you know, a hundred or a thousand stores? Um, it really depends on how badly they want your location. Okay. So if you have a really good location, then you have a lot more flexibility. But for the most part, most of these national tenants all have their own lease because as you mentioned you know uh, McDonald's has I don't know like 20,000 stores you know and so you're you're not gonna say I want you to use my lease you know mr. so-and-so at McDonald's so McDonald's is gonna come in and say no this is our form lease and these are the things we want in here and so we're gonna want you know some sort of exclusive that you won't put another Burger King right next to us and we're gonna want this type of thing and with anchor tenants a, a lot of times they have all the leverage so they might actually in some situations say well we're going to also control you know how you can build things in front of us and we're you're going to have to come to us for this and it's a trade-off but and the thing about our situation and what we found out the more locations you have so the more retail properties and the more shopping centers you have the more leverage you have with the tenants because you can say well if you want this really good shopping center then you're going to have to take this little lesser known shopping center over here Ah. we're going to give you a better deal on this one but if you want to get here and so that's what the really big guys do like the simons and you know the guys kimco who own hundreds of shopping centers, they just open their portfolio up and say, if you want my good ones, then you have to take a few of these, what we, in the technical term, uh, the shopping center business called dogs. Right. <laughs> That's a technical <laughs> term. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've uh, certainly seen a lot of these former malls, right? That was like the, the big thing in the 70s, right, was the right. mall. And today it's more right. of the entertainment center. Right. And as they change, you see people get creative and, and create different types of uh, uses. And, and it's it's amazing to watch. Um, but that's the kind of the rehab opportunity and repositioning. So uh, talk about some of those kinds of opportunities that you guys have taken advantage of. You know, we're, uh, we did underwrite a deal. We en- ended up not doing it because it just, um, it didn't make financial sense, but we went all the way down the road with it. It was a great deal in Scottsdale and uh, it was a failed mall. It had always been a failed mall. It shouldn't have been built. It was too small and it didn't have any anchor tenants. And so what we were gonna do is we, you know, I took a look at it right away and said, well, this part over here could be offices and we could, you know, move it towards medical offices. 
And then the part in the back is horrible, so we would empty that out. We went out and got a national developer. This was a, uh, you know, really, they're one of the largest developers in the country, and they were doing a lot of apartments in Scottsdale. And so we were going to sell off the back end to the apartment developer once we emptied it out. And then it had some really poorly configured um, out parcels on the front. So we were going to scrape those, and scrape is a technical term for demolishing those. Yep, knock it down. <laughs> yes. And then we were going to build, because the, the area needed smaller retail space, you see um, what we like to call convenience type of strip centers. And so in, you could throw, there was like a, a lack of the hamburger guy. Um, we had a, a coffee guy that was like one of the best coffee guys out in Phoenix. And, you know, they were like all ready to go. And so that was the type of thing. And that's, that is the type of things that we do. But that's just off the top of my mind, you know, what comes to me. We're going to Michael Fight today about uh, retail, specifically shopping centers. Is there an opportunity for you? We'll have more when we come back. And we'll play Real Estate Trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Memphis is famous for being the home of the king of rock and roll, but it's also the king of cash flow. If you're looking for affordable cash flow properties, it's hard to beat Memphis. Get your portfolio rocking and more cash flowing your way by calling Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers. Terry's the king of turnkey properties. Contact Terry through the resource section at realestateguysradio.com. And be sure to order Terry's tips for turnkey rental property investing report. It's free. Just send your request to turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. We appreciate you listening. Be sure and tell a friend. We're talking today about retail investing, specifically shopping centers with Michael Flight. Before we get back to that interview, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize. By knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, in just a minute, I'm going to give you a question which has something to do with real estate. In fact, shopping centers. And as soon as you think you know the right answer, send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to receive a great book called The One Thing That Changed Everything. Amazing stories from folks who had the path and direction of their life changed by just one thing. And of course, all the stories are different. You're going to love this book. Last show, we actually didn't even have a real estate trivia question. We were so busy with Jim Rogers and Peter Schiff. But the week before, we asked this, in what country were the Bee Gees born? 
Well, Barry Gibb, Robin Gibb, and Maurice Gibb, the Bee Gees, were all born on the Isle of Man. Although they were raised in England and found their first musical success in Australia, they were born in the late 40s on the Isle of Man. That was a tough one. And so is this week's trivia question. California is the U.S. state with the most shopping malls. Probably no surprise, huge population in California. But when adjusted for population, California doesn't even make the top 10. Here's our real estate trivia question. Which U.S. state has the most shopping malls per capita? Yeah, per person that lives there. Which state has the most shopping malls per capita? If you think you know or want to take a guess, send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name, the answer to the question, and your mailing address. Because if you're the winner, we're going to send you a copy of this great book, The One Thing That Changed Everything. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking with Michael Flight, who's been uh, investing in the shopping center business for a long, long time. Fascinating stuff, right? There's so many niches in real estate. In fact, we did a whole series of uh, profitable niches, and we talked about commercial property and, and an emphasis on industrial, but retail's a little different. I think one of the questions people have is with the change there is, Michael, in retail and, and people buying more online and so forth, there's certainly these folks who believe that uh, there's gonna, we're going to see the demise of traditional retail. Can you speak to that part of it? Absolutely. I, I actually just wrote an article about, you know, the is the retail apocalypse still on schedule? Yeah. Uh, um, but the, the thing is, is that retail, online retail is only 10%. It's still less than 10% of total sales. And so people are still going out and actually physically buying things. And so while there is going to be some changes and there's going to be a, you know, a, let's say a dislocation of certain tenants, but a lot of those tenants weren't really healthy to begin with. And then the next thing I want to point out is Amazon made a $13.5 billion purchase of Whole Foods. That's a whole lot of brick and mortar stores. Right. So, and then the other thing that I would like to point out, the Supreme Court just this past month came out with the South Dakota versus Wayfair decision. And so now it allows states to collect retail sales taxes online. And so there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, figuring out what's going to happen with that. But the simple thing is most online merchants, they're selling at a lower margin. So they're not as profitable as merchants in a store. And if you put the sales tax on top of that and you have put on, you know, trying to figure out the whole delivery thing, it really puts, you know, more headwind against those guys trying to sell online. And let's not forget about, you have to do a whole lot of advertising to get people to your store online. You have to pay Facebook and you have to do all these things to just generate all this traffic to your online store. And so while I'm not saying, I, what I am saying is it's going to be omni-channel. And so there's going to be people that are buying online and they can pick up in the store. You know, and one of the uh, things you were asking about is what can you like turn a shopping center into? So if you've got a vacant anchor tenant and it's in a good location, uh, it's already got the docks, it's already got the high ceilings. I mean, maybe in some of those situations you switch that anchor tenant into a, um, an industrial building, you know, last mile delivery. Yeah. Interesting. You know, we have a shopping center in our area that's got, there's four shopping centers on four corners, right? So there's a lot of space, pretty vibrant, but there's this one big space that has been plagued, right? There's a 
a grocery store that failed in there. Right. It's big enough. And what they're putting in there now, and this is brilliant, is a trampoline park. Right. You know, right. your kids go and they do the trampoline thing all day long, and it's just a different use of a big use of space. So you got to get creative. But I think the other thing is, you know, people always joke, well, yeah, let's go shopping. Shopping is one of the favorite pastimes. When someone says, hey, let's go shopping, they're not saying let's sit in front of the computer. They want to go out and have the experience and the food service. And of course, some of the things you can buy clothes online, but most people want to at least try something on, see how it looks. And so I do think there's the elements of retail that are probably never going to go away. Well, you are absolutely correct. I mean, the, the thing that shopping centers bring to our world is community. And, you know, whether you're going back to, you know, ancient times in the Bible where they've got, you know, people trading at the community gate, whether you go back to the Middle Eastern Bazaar, you always had, or even the Roman Agora, they had, you know, restaurants and they had things where people could go and do other things and it was a place to meet people. So, you know, what we look for is how can we bring more people there and keep them there longer? And it used to be that retailers, especially anchor tenants, wouldn't want restaurants around because the restaurants would take up a lot of parking. And now a lot of anchor tenants are saying, we want more restaurants here because if there's food there, people stay there and shop longer. You bet. Hey, let's talk about the financial performance of retail because doing the compared to what, this sounds like there's an opportunity. What does it look like? And I know there's a wide variety based on whether it's like an A, a B, a C, and also different markets, a secondary market or tertiary market. But what do you guys look for in terms of a financial performance that makes sense for you and your investors? Well, we really mainly grade things uh, starting off with on a per square foot basis. So we try to keep things under $100 or as close to $100 as possible because that gets into a replacement cost. And then our lenders like that because our lenders like to see, well, if my loan to per square foot price is X, if things go really bad, I can sell it for X. Yeah. You know, and so that's what we start off with. Okay. And then if it meets that criteria, and it meets the location criteria, then we do an underwriting and we typically model on a 10-year basis because yeah. we know there's going to be uh, a certain amount of tenants in there and we know from our experience that a certain amount of tenants are going to roll over and so if you're looking for specifics you know we try to look for right now um, shopping centers that are at least an eight cap and above okay. so a capitalization rate of eight yep. and above and then you know we look for something that we can have an event where we can refinance it or reposition it so that you know three to five years on down the road it's either refinance or coming out of the property by selling it well and let's talk about the refinancing and, and really starting with financing financing people understand when it comes to residential probably most of our listeners but uh, it's different in this world so what are financing terms loan to value and those kinds of things that lenders in this space are looking for um, lenders in this space are they've come back down in the recent years on okay. their loan of values. So they're in really, in reality, you don't want to over leverage a shopping center because it could go bad in a hurry. But we're seeing any 70%, 65%, or 60% loan of value. We just completed a, uh, it's a 300,000 square foot shopping center. We just completed a refinancing with that with um, State Farm 
and it's some wonderful terms. We got money at like 3.8%, you know, and uh, you know if State Farm's in it, they're going to be in it for a while. Right. And, you, and with a lender like that, you like them because they've got the experience and, and that type of thing. Um, if it's a turnaround situation, it's a little bit different. Then you're going to be going with a bank or you're going to be going with one of the private loan funds. We used to do a lot of CMBS mortgages, yep. but that um, space has kind of died out. And so they're like really large loans now. So that's like you know, 20 million and above. And that's not the space we play in. We really like to play in $1 million to $20 million because it's below the institutional sector, but it's also above the mom and pop guys that are, you know, trying to put together some stuff. Yeah. And ideally, it's 5 to $15 million. Okay. And now, if you're acquiring something that does need a lot of repositioning, a lot of rehab, a lot of work, that might be a different scenario where you're going to acquire it with one set of financing or investors and then refinance it at a certain point. How long does it take to reposition the shopping center? It really depends, but on average, to execute a, a solid business plan, it's going to be at least a three-year type of a thing. And, and that's what we would really like, because we've done this long enough that nothing ever goes as planned. Yeah, right. it, it usually works out great, but it's like, you know, it takes a turn that you really didn't expect you were going to see. Certain times, it's like, okay, we got this tenant, we have to knock down this entire quarter of the shopping center to put the supermarket in. So now we've got to pay to relocate these guys. But in the end, it you know it usually works out, and like I say, it usually takes anywhere from three, at the longest five years. But if you've been in it for five years, it's 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 probably not a good deal. Hey, Michael's written a report, an article about uh, this very topic. Before we're done, we'll let you know how to uh, get a, a copy of that for free. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, it's a little different when it comes to retail, is that when we think about a single family house, it's pretty easy to understand the economic model, and you're going to have to make ready, clean it up paint the walls, a tenant moves in. When a retail tenant moves in, there's something called tenant improvement allowance. And the idea is you're taking a, a white or gray shell building that used to be some retail tenant, and you've got a new tenant coming in, and they're either food service or they're selling apparel or whatever they're doing, and you have to get the space ready to hold that tenant, if you will. So talk about tenant improvement and how that affects what you do. That is an excellent question, and it's something that I neglected to bring up before. But when a tenant moves in, typical delivery is what's called a white box. So that means you're going to get drywall ready to be painted, you're going to get a drop ceiling, the tenant's going to get a concrete floor, and there's going to be a bathroom in there. Yep. You mentioned a gray shell. We have done that too, where we'll build the building to the shell, and we'll put the HVAC units on, and we'll just say, you do all your interior work. And that's, you know, if we've had a pro forma where the tenant couldn't quite pay the rent that we were looking for, um, but we, you know, needed to get there. We, we just completed a Ross deal like that a few years back. Okay. In addition to providing a white box, a lot of tenants, especially national tenants, will require something above that. So they'll say, well, that's your white box, but this is our white box. And so they'll have, well, we need you to do a, a special, these are our doors, you know, or in the case we did a Gap factory outlet and we're negotiating with, you know, an old Navy right now. And they'll say, this is how we want the space delivered. And then we want you to give us X amount of dollars and we'll just build the rest of it out. Yeah. And then we're in the process right now of dealing with a, um, a, a national pet chain 
And so they actually want us to do what's called a turnkey. So they give us their complete plans and they say, you build everything out and then you know we're gonna just go in, move in and open up. Number one, I don't like doing that because it puts us on construction risk yep. and for cost overruns. Number two, it puts gives us more money into the tenant and we would probably more than likely have less money into the tenant. So in a lot of situations, we'll either just give them money or free rent and say, here, you deal with that. We don't ever wanna have to come back and fix your pet tubs where people are washing things or this or that. And, and you handle it and then we don't have, we'll be property owners and you be running your business. So I think for folks that aren't used to retail, you gotta get your mind around, wait a minute, why would the landlord pay the tenant? Well, here's the concept. If I want a tenant to stay for five or 10 years, I wanna create a space that is exactly what they need. So this is a market-driven thing, right? It's sometimes landlords have to provide more tenant improvement allowance than other times, depending on you know how strong the demand is and so forth. But the concept is, as the landlord, you're gonna get your building ready for that tenant so they have the inducement to stay for that time. So it's really, it's not that you're giving them money. Yes, it does cost you something. You're insuring the tenancy. Not only that, Robert, but the one of the great things is, especially if you're looking to refinance out of the shopping center or sell it, if you're doing the work for the tenant, you can charge them a higher rent. And that gives you a higher pro forma. So if you can you know, arbitrage the difference between that, why not do the, the work for it, get the higher rent, get the higher pro forma, and then get the higher loan or the higher sales price? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've been in the business a long time. What are some of the things that folks who have never been in the retail business should know? Maybe things you wish you knew and you learned the hard way. There- <laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But one of the biggest things is, is people need to know a little bit about retail itself. So they need to know um, how a retailer does business. They need to know um, what certain retailers sell certain items. They need to know. I always tell people uh, merchandising a shopping center, which is putting the right tenants in the right spots is basically like creating a department store. And so if you have like, like you say you have a Marshalls or a Ross, you're going to, the shoe guy is going to want to be in there and you're going to want a shoe guy. Um, if you have a nail salon, you know, you want to make sure that you have also try to get like a hair salon in there because they're complementary uses. Yeah. So that's the type of thing that I tell people. It's like, it's not like uh, an apartment where if the person is breathing and has a credit score and, and you know that they're not going to damage your stuff, it, it takes a little bit more thought, but it also makes it more fun because you could say, hey, you know, this is, we've created something here, there's, you know, a certain amount of creativity and at the end of the day, um, we've had shopping centers where we've had, we actually, one of them we had Wayne's World film that. Yeah. And we had another mall in uh, New Jersey where we had the, um, the Sopranos film at it. So, okay. And so we, we've, you know, it's, it's a little bit of Hollywood, it's a little bit of everything. Well, and it's the creativity part, yeah. right? This is the the art, if you will, of retail is figuring out where tenants go, making sure you're, they're not stepping on each other's toes, complimentary uses. That brings up another question, which is a lot of times the owner of the center will have some programs to encourage people to come in. It, maybe it's a, you know, you're doing events, you're doing and so forth, but you're supporting your tenants in that way. The very idea of an anchor tenant, an anchor tenant often pays a little less because they know they have a big brand name, but that's going to bring people in and that's going to help your other tenants. So you have to think about the overall health of all of your tenants. 
Right, and you know, in the past we used to have what's called merchants associations. Yep. So the merchants would run, you know, this thing that has been pretty much phased out. And in certain situations, in larger centers, we have what's called marketing funds. And so they'll have like craft fairs, or we'll have like other type of things, or we'll you know, every once in a while, uh, a, a big thing that we have people call us a lot is a radio station will want to come out and do an event in the parking lot and so they'll say can we have a stuff a bus where we get like all these people donating food and we want to and we want to do it in your thing yeah. and so and then the other thing is with with anchor tenants we have anchor tenants when they do grand openings or they do special events they will use the parking lots for car giveaways and stuff like that yeah so that's the the part is that it's it's not you wouldn't do that in a single family house in an apartment building but there's some pretty interesting nuances to retail now we could talk about tons more but uh, you've uh, put together a, a report on uh, lots of things tell us about what's in the report uh, the report covers you know what you would want to look for in a shopping center what a good location is some of the aspects of the financial you know things that you're looking for in a shopping center we also address what we addressed here you know uh, what about online sales and you know what you do to merchandise a shopping center to get away from online sales and then it's just a, a good educational thing to say you know this is what retail real estate is and this is the type of stability and the type of wealth creation that you could get if you invested in shopping centers like we do so that's awesome and uh, if you're interested in that and why wouldn't you be just send an email to shopping center at realestateguysradio.com shopping center at realestateguysradio.com and uh, also one of the ways that you guys find opportunity is because it's generally five, fifteen, twenty million dollars is to raise capital from private investors. Talk about that, how an accredited investor can get involved with what you're doing. Well, if you are an accredited investor, we have acquisition opportunities come up all the time. We look at a, a large volume of shopping centers and when we find one that fits our acquisition criteria and our investment model, then we open that up to accredited investors. So if you're looking to invest um, Twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars. Our minimum is twenty-five thousand dollars. All right. So if you're accredited and you're interested in getting involved, rather than buy a whole shopping center, they can come alongside you guys and uh, and do that as well. Again, you'll be able to get uh, Michael's information if you just send an email to shopping center at realestateguysradio.com. Michael, this has been great stuff. We sure appreciate uh, you sharing your information with us, and we'll see you at the Secrets of Successful Syndication. I understand. Yes, you will. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff. Well, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you. To tune to the Real Estate Guys radio program more when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way for you to get everything you've ever dreamed of? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable for their achievement. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Create Your Future, the 2019 Goals Retreat, January 18th to 20th in beautiful Lake Las Vegas, Nevada. This unique weekend event has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com under events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track, physically, 
spiritually and financially. Attend the 2019 Goals Retreat on the third weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com to register. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723, extension 18, today. Hi, this is Mark Skousen, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Hey, join us in wonderful New Orleans. We're going to be at the New Orleans Investment Conference the first week of November. This is not our conference, but it's one we attend every year, and it's phenomenal. It's the longest-running investment conference in the United States, and you'll be, get to meet a bunch of our friends there and a bunch of listeners, so it's going to be awesome. If you want to go, we'll get you all the details. If you just send an email to New Orleans at realestateguysradio.com. And when you do that, you also learn about the Real Estate Guys Suite Party. One of the nights we're in New Orleans, we're going to hang out and have a good time, and it was unbelievable last year. So join us in New Orleans. Hey, great to talk to uh, Michael Flight. That guy knows something about shopping centers. Yeah, it's fun. He's a super nice guy. It's really interesting how we got a chance to get to know him. As you mentioned, uh, he came to our Secrets of Successful syndication because he is looking to raise money uh, to do more. And that's what you could do syndication for. So if you're out there and you're thinking, hey, I, I want to raise money to do more. We'll come out to the Secrets of Successful Syndication. We'll teach you how to do that. And then he followed up and he came to our How to Win Funds and Influence People sales training. Right. And he ended up being the guy that I did the role play with in the front of the room. And so he played full out, which was fabulous. And I interviewed him and I didn't know anything about him. And I just interviewed him. And then I found out who he was and what he was doing. And was like, wow, let's get together and talk about this because this is such a great niche. And what I was most impressed with, as we mentioned before we brought him on, is the 30 years of experience. There's a lot of things you can fake. There's a lot of things you can pretend, but it's hard to fake 30 years of experience. You know what I mean? So that's just legit. And, you know, our mission here is to go out and find great ideas, great perspectives, subject matter experts, people who really know their niche. And they don't have to be household names. They don't have to be seminar gurus. They don't have to be best-selling authors. They just have to be people that know what they're doing and they walk the talk. And this guy, uh, as far as we can tell, appears to be one of those guys and it's just a super nice man met his son, uh, and so looking forward to spending more time. I believe Michael's coming on the Summit at Sea with us too in, uh, in, in March. Well, we're certainly trying to strong arm him to do that because a lot of folks are interested in this uh, topic. And, you know, he's not out on the circuit. He doesn't have a book and tape series. He's not that guy. He's just a guy quietly doing good business. And, you know, one of the things about retail that's interesting, and, and all retail, not just shopping centers. Shopping centers are definitely Michael's kind of expertise, but he recognizes the bigger picture in retail. And, uh, you know, it was interesting talking about the difference between anchor tenants and other other tenants. And so there's a, a mix you have to get your mind around. But part of what we're interested in as real estate investors is what we call the durability of our income. If I have one property and there's one tenant, whether it's a commercial tenant or a residential tenant, I'm at the mercy of that tenant's future plans. But when you distribute the demand for your property over multiple tenants, that gives you a surety. And so we're looking for that as real estate investors. If I've got an anchor tenant, sure, they might pay a little bit less per square foot, but they're rock solid. The guy who comes in and is a bigger risk to me as the landlord is going to pay a little more. And there are ways that we can make that benefit us as landlords. Like for instance, the concept of a percentage lease. 
I remember when I first was a tenant at a retail building many, many years ago, we had a provision and our rent was based on the square footage and it was a dollar figure per square foot, but there was a percentage lease provision which said that we would pay either our $1.25 per square foot per month or 6% of our total sales, whichever was more. And my partner, who was not a real estate guy, said, well, gosh, we don't ever want to get to that. We'd be paying more in rent. And I said, no, 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 you're thinking completely wrong. We're going to celebrate the day we get to our percentage re- lease because it means we're making more money. Well, there's even more to it. You know, you might hear that and think, why in the world would anybody sign that kind of lease? Well, here's why. Is the mall operator or the shopping center operator uh, has the ability to figure out who is going to go where and can pull everybody together to create marketing programs. And do you think they're going to be more or less inclined to want to support you if they get a piece of your upside? I mean, you have to understand, and one of my favorite things about this type of investing is the opportunity to be strategic as an owner, because you have the opportunity to think about, okay, tenant placement, where do I want to put people who are going to be compatible, tenant mix, making sure that I've got the right mix of people. I I maybe wouldn't want to put a a low-end store next to a high-end store. I mean, just you wouldn't put a dollar store next to, you know, a, a Saks Fifth Avenue right next to each other, because it's about creating an environment, a total environment environment in your center that is going to attract the right kind of demographic. So uh, when you have a participation lease like this, you've got incentives on the landlord's part to actually attract the right kind of people to surround you with other people. And think about this, when you've got six, seven, eight, however many other tenants in a shopping center with you, you are the recipient of all of their marketing efforts because when they bring somebody into their shop, the chances are that they see your shop are good. And then they may come over and do some business with you too, and vice versa. So it's a way to create and participate in a co-op and get the landlord on your side. So, I mean, if I'm a tenant and I'm out there looking at this, I'm, I'm wanting to understand a little bit about my, my landlord and what they're thinking in terms of what their vision for their center is and does my business fit into it. Flipping it over, if I'm the manager of it, I want to be thinking about every single tenant that I put in and are they a fit? Are they creating the right environment? Are they attracting the right demographic? And as a landlord, put you on the same side of the table as the tenant, right? We all want the center to do better because then there's more sales for everybody. And if the landlord gets a piece of that, that makes the landlord that much interested in helping the tenants. So it's really unique in that regard. That's not how it works in in apartments. In apartments, you have to do whatever work necessary to be able to raise the rents across the board. That's different than when the tenant knowingly and voluntaringly hands you more money because their business is doing so well. So it's fascinating stuff. If you'd like to learn more about it and get Michael's report, just send an email to shoppingcenter at realestateguysradio.com. That's shoppingcenter at realestateguysradio.com. Well, registration is open for the 17th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. This is going to be an extraordinary event on an amazing ship. Yep, we do the majority of this event on a ship, and it's the same ship we were on last year. It's beautiful. It's the number one ship in the celebrity fleet, and having been on it this year, we know why. So join us for the Investors Summit at Sea. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, if you're out there and you are a investor and uh, got big aspirations, right? I want to, I'm going to go big, especially if you're going to be a syndicator. The summit is such a great place to compress timeframes in terms of uh, accelerating your network and the people 
that you know, accelerating your understanding of investing and all kinds of different types of investing uh, by being around a lot of great people, building your brand, being able to say, hey, I had lunch, dinner, I hung out at the beach with these notable people, and just expanding your mind about the possibilities. It's just a ton of fun. I think you get more done in 10 days than you get done in 10 years in terms of advancing your education, building your brand, and building your network. So come on out and join us. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on Summit at Sea. Hey, big thanks to Michael Fight for sharing his great knowledge of shopping centers and the retail real estate market with us. If you'd like a copy of his report, just send an email to shoppingcenter at realestateguysradio.com. Next week, we're going to talk about a real estate product type and a market that will prove very interesting and another cool guest. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.